The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. And welcome to another episode of RBK Fave, your home for professional wrestling talk on the BICBP radio network. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez, joined as always by my tag team partner in crime, my freebird, Matt Johnson. Hey, yo. <laughs> I like What's going on, everybody? Happy to be back. When you said that, I could just see you leaning on the side, leather jacket, aviator sunshades on. Hey, yo. Throwing a toothpick at my laptop screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. How you doing, dude? I'm, I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing. It's been, uh, it's been a rough week. Happy, you know, or for us, at least recording wise, we're at, we're at the weekend point. Um, so yeah, uh, everything's good. How about yourself? Yeah, I was saying the same thing. It's been quite a week this week, man. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it had to do with new moons, full moons, whatever that is, <laughs> but man, it has been quite a week. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm I'm ready to coast into the weekend and just kind of kind of yeah, just enjoy myself a I little agree. bit, that's for sure. I but agree. um but yeah, I mean as always we're excited to talk pro wrestling uh, you know, with you the listeners and we got a fun topic today. Oh yeah. Uh this is Chris is Chris this was your idea and I think it's it's one that we really haven't uh you know, we haven't had a chance to really visit. Uh, you know, we, we refer to it often, but I think focusing a whole episode on the specific, you know, subject. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good thing for us. I think so too. I think it's one of the most important things, uh, probably one of the more important aspects in professional wrestling. Um, we're going to get right into it. So what we're talking about today, our topic for Harley Kayfabe is the art of the promo. Um, as I was saying, it's like it is. It's probably one of the more important aspects of a wrestling career to be able to cut a promo and do so effectively and eloquently and enough to stir emotion and make people feel something um, is 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 almost it almost trumps need, needing to have that much talent in the ring. You know what I mean? Almost. I'm not going to say it does trump, but it's almost like I, you we've seen where there have been killer promos who've been okay in the ring, but we kind of hold them on an elevated status because of their promos. Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, and you see it too. It's not even just in pro wrestling, but people who can talk, who can cut promos mm -hmm. and sell matches, mm -hmm. games, those people are the ones who are drawing money and putting all the focus, uh, yep. you know, on on them. Uh, we see it all the time in mixed martial arts now. UFC, you got some of the loudest talkers. Conor McGregor, oh. mean, it's it's it, you know what I mean. He he's he's got WWE written all over him with the way he talks sometimes. Yeah, dude, he's a natural, a natural at promos, man. He is, and you know, he's been a bit of a, a bit of a losing streak. I mean, I'm not super into mixed martial arts UFC, yeah. but um, those last couple big time fights, he's been on the wrong end yeah. of him but his mouth sold the fight and he made a bunch of money doing it oh yeah uh you know we see i, I see him pro football all the, all the time you know some of the the loudest players in the room are you know the ones that you, you you want to tune in all the time to watch them put up or shut up and, and usually it's shut up because it's it's very arrogant yeah but <laughs> yeah you know it's but but that's what people pay money to see. Uh, boxing, Floyd Mayweather. Oh yeah, big big talker. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali did it, but he was you know people loved him. Uh, but talk the ability to to talk and taunt. You know, sometimes it comes off as uh, you know, really just compete, just kind of do it. And obviously, obviously in the world of pro wrestling, it's a little bit different. You're you're have to sell these matchups, uh, or people won't buy into it. But with as a general consensus, the the loudest person in the room sometimes is the uh, that's the money maker. That's yeah. who makes the most money. Yeah, yeah. So coming from a professional wrestling background yourself, um, you understand what this means. You know that there really is an art to cutting a promo because not everybody can do it. 
Um, and the guys that can are usually the ones that start to shine brighter. The way, exactly like you said, those are the ones that people are coming to see because those are the ones that are the loudest. They're the ones that are speaking. Um, so let me ask you something. When you went through training, you know, to become a professional wrestler uh, and hit the indie scene, you got to go through a lot of rigorous physical training. You got to learn how to, you know, take bumps. You got to learn moves, holds, locks. You got to learn all this, right? You got to condition your cardio. Do they take the same amount of time to to teach you how to cut a promo? Um, because, like, I know the WWE does. I know they have like whole classes on it in which they show some of the greats of all time doing them. Um, but what about like what? What's it like on when you're trying to first? get into it you know what i mean um you know i'll be honest the the school that i went through i won't name them they did not really focus on promos they should have um it's unfortunate i you know i'm despite me having eight million podcasts uh, i'm not a great i'm not a, i'm not a great public speaker uh <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's something that you know has always made me uneasy you know talking in front of classes and stuff um, but the pro wrestling school that I went to, they did not give it, you know, go through proper means of teaching how to cut a promo. There's a whole style and flow to it that so many people think they understand, but they just don't. Yeah. Uh, the Grapplers Anonymous here in Buffalo, New York, however, they're a much better school than the one I went to when I trained. They go through all that. They, they nice. really break it down and they teach you and they teach, teach you to be fearless uh, in that respect, and you know it, it's it, it's paying dividends because right now Western New York has some of the best talkers. Oh yeah, uh, that I've seen at the independent level in a very long time, and and, and it's growing in that respect. But um, you know, for yeah, for myself, you know, it, it promo class was something that I wish I had gone through. It it might have helped. You know, I was just I was totally like old school Ring of Honor mode when I wrestled. You know, right? It was just pure wrestling. Okay. Um. You know that that's that was always my mentality. You know, I uh, I didn't realize really at the time how important talking was. I mean, I I had it. I kind of knew, um, but I didn't prioritize it like I probably should have, and it might have changed my fortunes a little bit. Uh. You know, I just thought I can just go in there and wrestle. You know, be like a. Lance Storm type guy and make it successful. William Regal, obviously, in his later years, became more of a talker. Finley, um, you know, those guys had good promos, but you know what I mean. That like, I don't know, like that. Your, I guess, European style. Yeah, where it is just wrestling and just pure wrestling mm-hmm. can sell a match. That was kind of my mentality, and and I don't, it just doesn't work here in the United States like at all. We're just. We're just whores for drama and <laughs> uh, just loud brashness. And yeah. That's that, you know, as, as an audience, it's really how it is. Yeah. And that goes back to the territory days, man. You can see some of the old, old, you know, studio wrestling territory days uh, on the network and on YouTube, High Spots Wrestling. You can check all that stuff out and you see these guys and the promos they can cut is you know it's so different than today the way the way guys cut promos today uh, as opposed to the way they used to back in the den back in the day back in the day there was it felt like you know to cut a good promo there it had to be loud the entire time um, you had to be very forceful uh, you had to use the phrase let me tell you something over and over uh, <laughs> you know what I mean let me tell you something oh yeah <laughs> um, and uh, you know and, and you're right there's an art to it and as I was watching a lot of the different promos in preparation for this episode because uh, as I was telling you off air like I was watching a bunch just to kind of refresh myself on some of the ones that I, I had remembered some maybe I'd never seen before um, and what they were were literally lists of the best. So I'm watching these guys and, and and at the top of their game and these guys who have mastered this craft of being able to really come across with this emotional point. Uh, and like you said, sell the match. That's some of the most important pieces of cutting a promo. There's a cadence to it. There's a flow. There's there's certain things that you say with certain punches here and there. And then it's about selling, selling this match. Uh, man, it's I have to tell you, having watched a bunch of those, I, 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 I've come away from it with an even more bigger appreciation Uh more bigger yeah uh, a bigger appreciation for uh for you know just these guys who not only did they put their bodies on the line uh the ones that could do it how they could just craft the language you know what i mean 
that's that's a very that's a very important statement that you pretty pretty much just made there. Uh, one person that I've always you know really uh, you know been kind of described to and, and always uses a reference point for how important promo work is is uh, is Shelton Benjamin. Oh, okay. Right? Uh, so hear me out. Shelton Benjamin is one of the most athletic pro wrestlers I have ever seen. Isn't he shorty cool shorty stuff. something now? No, 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 no. I'm thinking of what's his name. Never mind. That's uh, Gable. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. of shorties. Never mind. You're right. Shelton Benjamin. All right. Reset. But, Here we go. But, yeah. but like, do you remember that run he had in like the mid-2000s where he was like IC champ for nine months? Yes. And he's having these yeah. big – but he never got over over because he was not a good talker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Shelton Benjamin could put on five-star matches all day, any yeah. day. That he was that athletic, that technical. I used to love watching Shelton Benjamin matches. But the reason why he never made it past an intercontinental title reign is because he was not. And, you know, unfortunately to this day, he's not a great talker. He's not in the, the same respect as, like, the Kurt Angles, the John Cena's, yeah. uh, you know, and a lot of those guys who reached the pinnacle. Roddy Piper oh. and, uh, you know, various guys like that. He he could never do that. Because, um, I mean, there are – very capable wrestling champions that have been around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously like Bret Hart, Ric Flair, yeah. Ricky Steamboat. Those guys can go, but they can also do the talking, oh, too, yeah. that comes with it. Um, and some of the best pure wrestlers have just been not given that time to shine, really, because, yeah, they couldn't they couldn't talk and couldn't really sell matchups. Right. They'd be lucky if they were paired with someone who'd be the mouthpiece, and that usually is what helped put them over. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's rare. It's rare because it's it seems nowadays you have to almost be the total package because you don't really see managers much anymore. You don't really see the mouthpiece anymore. Um, case in point, you know they're using Sami Zayn to be a mouthpiece for Shinsuke Nakamura because for how long were we saying that every time he opened his mouth? People would would pull out the old Austin what over and over and over, and it's so for yeah, me it's such a disrespectful thing. Even if you know what I mean, like it's like come on, man. It is. That's why a lot of like those those you know those Jap wrestlers who are those are the some of the hardest hitting best wrestlers on the planet. Yeah, uh, they don't get over well over here. No, I always they don't. I always said um, that it, when they're playing that heel, the best is for them to just speak in their native language. Just to speak Japanese, all angry and no, and not have to explain what's being said because they're a heel, and we're gonna hate that they're screaming at us in their language. You know what I mean? I absolutely agree. I actually feel it's easier for an American wrestler to go over to, to Japan and get over because that's their style yeah. versus the flip flop way around. Because it's it it is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, you see, like uh, was it Kenta? Kenta, you know, was was one. He had decent English, mm-hmm. um, but he's you know he's one that struggled to get over. Uh, Funaki, very hard to understand. He was over because he did that number one announcer thing, and they they played up the whole foreigner yeah. uh, side of it. But you know, it, he Funaki is a great wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was uh crap. He was. Uh, I can't think of his name. He's like light heavyweight champ in the 90s. Takamishinoku, uh, another one. I mean, these guys are all some of the best wrestlers. But, yep. um, yeah, the, the language barrier, it, it hurt them when it came to being super successful in the States. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of cool to kind of look at, at how pro wrestling is and how different it is and, you know, yeah. just on the other side of the Pacific Ocean that it is here, you know, what what the, the crowd is really buying into. Mm-hmm. Uh and, you know, and there's so much more that goes into it, but um, but yeah, for, like foreigner wrestlers have always struggled to really get over here because of their the, that language barrier. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but you know, on the other side of it, we do have some of the greatest of all time. I mean, the, when you can cut a a great promo, it leaves you with with classic like one liners, classic phrases. Like you were saying when you mentioned even in other sports, when like Muhammad Ali. You know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee came out of one of his greatest promos of all time. You know what I mean? And how he's the greatest. And like nobody talked like that in the real sports world. He was literally a professional wrestler in the sports world. You know what I mean? Talking about how great he was Ric Flair uh, as a boxer. Um, But in the wrestling world, you know, these guys, 
some of the greatest of all time have put together these promos that forever, forever will be memorable in our in our eyes. So I was saying originally that the idea was we were going to both come with a, you know three of our favorites of all time, and, and we would normally have honorable mentions. But since this is the entire topic, I just say we just discuss them, right? So uh, I'm more than okay with it. Who yep. did you have first on your list? Who are you going to want to talk about? Um, I mean, he's an obvious choice, but a manager. Uh, oh. you know, I, I, I gotta say, I gotta say Paul Heyman. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say Paul Heyman. That man knows how to work a crowd and you know, he, he's, he's, he's genius. He, he's, he's so smart and, and one, he's done a lot. He made a lot of great promos in his time, you know, especially this latest run with WWE is his 21 and one, mm-hmm. uh, promo after Brock beat, beat, um, you know, Undertaker, yep. this and that. But the the one that really impressed me the most was the one where they f- WWE faked CM Punk coming out in Chicago. And <sighs> Paul Heyman went out there and did his thing and pretty much insulted the crowd. And, and I don't think – well, he really didn't shoot on CM Punk, but he almost defended him and, and like, blamed the fans. But the smart thing about it was he went out there and there was not a single CM Punk chant – out there for the rest of that night, for the rest of that show, <laughs> and that's how smart he, you know, he is. How shut him well down, dude. He shut him down, and that was that was his goal. He, I mean, he pretty he stated it before an interview. He goes, give me that microphone and and let me do this because they knew they were going into a very hostile situation in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Oh yeah, CM Punk was still super over. This was, I think, April of 2014. I think it was April or May of 2014. And so CM Punk, I mean, he just they wanted him. Everybody mm-hmm. knew they wanted him back. And they thought Chicago, he was going to return and, and may, do this and that. But Paul Heyman went out there and controlled the crowd and killed the chant. <laughs> so the show could go on for the rest of the you know the evening. And, and it went well. It went smooth. Uh, if Heyman did not go out there and, and, well, A, cut the promo at all, or B, cut it to perfection the way he did, uh that those wrestlers would be in for a very long night, and it might have been a long time before they returned to Chicago. Yeah, uh, you know, and obviously the CM Punk chants have never really fully gone away, but for that night, he controlled the crowd and killed it off. Yeah, uh, and 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 made way for the wrestlers to really work the crowd and, and do their thing without. You know the the overshadowing of the CM Punk chants, which were, you know, all very overbearing at that time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I agree, man. Heyman is easily, easily will go down as one of the greatest of all time on Mike uh, in the world of not even the world of professional wrestling overall. I mean, the dude knows how, like you said, knows how to control a crowd. Knows how, he's masterful on the mic. He chooses his words, you know, very, very, very particular with what he's saying. Um, And he's got the cadence. He knows how to keep people's attention with what he's saying. It's not just nonsense, gibberish, droning on and on, you know, not the not the uh, the teacher from Ferris Bueller's day off, you know, Bueller, Bueller (laughs) talking like like the dude knows how to cut a promo. So I agree, dude, he's that's one of the really, really good ones. Um, for me, I've said this before, so I'm going to bring it up early in, in this discussion because I've said it before. I've always thought that this promo was probably one of the most important, uh, in changing how, you know, the course of WWE going from kind of like the old caricature, uh, wrestlers and gimmicks to the attitude era was, uh, when Stone Cold Steve Austin wins the King of the Ring and he delivers the famous, uh, Austin 316, promo um after beating jake the snake roberts um this promo is about two and a half minutes long at the most and about you know 15 to 20 seconds of it is him walking up to the you know to to where he's going to cut this promo the little uh pedestal or whatever it was um but man it you it comes in so stone cold you know we knew he's always kind of like that hard-hitting wrestler right like he 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 had kind of like that the old school style that was kind of melding into the new school style. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny because I, because you know I went away from wrestling for a couple years. And when I came back, Stone Cold was retired. This and that. So all I really know him for is like Stone Cold Stunners, beers, middle fingers, and <laughs> promos. That's really like all I can oh, think man. of. And like so I you... actually sit down and try and watch Stone Cold Steve Austin matches, and it's so weird. It's so weird to watch. But you are right. He had a very 
you know, in between generations yes. kind of style. That, yeah. That, and and he, he made it work very well. He had the hard hitting stuff uh, and, and kind of that, that realistic kind of um, stiff workingness uh, that you would see with guys like Harley Race. Uh, and the Andersons back in the day, but then again, he also had this kind of, you know, he was he was fla- you know, when I say flashy, it was more along the lines of like the way he would throw his middle fingers up and do these things and the stunner, and you know, it, he was doing his thing. But even even earlier, man, you could go back to stunning Steve Austin days, back in his WCW days when he went to ECW. Man, he he was a, a hard working wrestler. This guy can go. And he was pretty decent on Mike. He wasn't great. He was decent. He even had a a, a pretty good promo when he was at ECW, taking a uh, you know shooting on WCW. Um, but it this was the defining moment. This was what was going to say, all right, now you're a star because during the 316 promo, it was like they said, just be you, man. Be your Texas self. Do go out there and and literally lay it on the line. And he does right. He he comes at them. With this mud stomping, I'm gonna whoop your ass style promo. That's straight Texan, like straight. Like this dude sounds like he's right out of Texas, right? And we le- and he when he's done, uh, not only is it just this kind of language because there's a lot of uh, you know whooping ass, and which was kind of you know at that time they were starting to go that way, but you know still you know there's still kids watching. Um, he leaves us though with two of the greatest of all time. You know, Austin three sixteen says, "I just whooped your ass," and then uh, that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. He literally just coins two phrases that forever is is going to be you know in in wrestling history, uh, the books of wrestling history phrases uh, in just one promo in less than two and a half minutes. Yeah, I mean those are just so you know, immortalized those, those phrases and, you know, just commonly referred to, uh, I mean, Stone Cold wrote that catchphrase till today. Uh, you know, every time he comes back, he uses that, that phrase. Uh, and and it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's how quick a promo can change somebody's career. Mm -hmm. Right. How how long did you say it was? It was rough. I mean, it's about two and a half. Yeah. It's two and a half minutes at the very most. You know what I mean? That two and a half minutes, changed his career mm-hmm. for forever obviously he was getting you know built up yeah but, yeah um would he have been stayed on top would have been a megastar how many king of the ring winners really went on to have long-term success and were as you know ended up right. being as over as stone cold i mean argue yeah arguably he was bigger than hulk hogan honestly i think he's considered probably one of the greatest he and rock are the greatest uh, wwe stars of all time Oh yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that because of how edgy and and mainstream that they were. I mean, yeah, sure, everybody knows Hulk Hogan, yeah. but Stone Cold was everybody could like. It was him. a phenomenal. Everybody, you know, it was kids and adults alike. He was he was relatable yep. because he hated his boss and he flipped him off and he beat the crap out of him. Drink and everybody beer. was like, "Man, I want to do that to my boss." Yeah, yeah. talked about <laughs> kicking ass, drinking beer, <laughs> right? And and that's. That was different at that time. Yeah, you know, guys who talked like that were mid carters at best. It, you know, it, it's you always had those those like Texan guys, yeah, you know, yeah. tag teams. Um, but guys who talked like that, they didn't win world championships uh, wow. prior to nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight. That just wasn't a thing. But yeah, Stone Cold changed that, and he was he led. You know, he led this transcension from what was the WF in the early nineties to what, you know, what it would become with the attitude era. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a great one. Um, I mean, there's so many just immortalized promos. I'm trying to think of some underrated ones. I know we talked about doing that. Um, here's one that actually it's from a guy that was never really great at doing promos, but this one, uh, is probably one of my favorite of all time. You remember Mark Henry's first retirement speech? No, I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen it, to be honest. Oh, it is so, so good. Really? All right. So we had um, – there was a period of time where, like, Mark Henry, he just kind of, like – he was just kind of there. He, he wasn't used main, you know, main roster, storylines, anything like that. He was just kind of there jobbing out uh, to the big show and the likes of that. And um, they announced this segment. 
that Mark Henry was going to retire and he was going to come out and make this big speech. And it was very believable talking to his daughter. There's actually a memorable quote that I'll read off. In his speech, you know, he was very emotional. He was crying. Uh, But this quote is, to my little girl, Joanna, who cries when I leave home, baby, I'm coming home. All right? And not too long after that, uh, well, John Cena's standing out in the apron. He's the champion at this time. And he's standing out on the apron. And Cena comes in to kind of, you know, give him a hug and, and this and that because they've been friends for so long. But the swerve here is, that Mark Henry, while in this beautiful pink salmon suit, uh, <laughs> picks up John Cena and lays him out for the world strong with the world's strongest slam, Ooh. completely taking everybody by surprise. Um, he would eventually go on to you know make that same retirement speech, so well, similar retirement speech, and actually retire a few years after. But um, this was just different. This was different. Henry was not never known for being a talker, right? Good entertainer, just big solid wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's had, he's had a couple good quotes and stuff that sold t-shirts, you know, that's what I do, or that's how I do, or, yeah. or whatever it was, but he was never a promo guy. When you think of Mark Henry, you don't think talker, uh, at all. No. You think, beat the crap big out of dude, you, just yeah. big, strong dude, yeah, just a tank, and for him to pull this off and make the crowd believe he was going to retire, and like, he made me believe he was going to retire. And to pull that, I was like, this is awesome. This was so well done. Um, you couldn't script. I mean, obviously it is scripted, but you couldn't <laughs> script it any, that moment, that segment any better than the, than what they did. And I was, yeah, just thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with how it was. It made Mark Henry look great. It made him relevant uh, again. And, you know, gave him the main event. I want to say it was SummerSlam. It might have been SummerSlam. It might have been. There were so many pay-per-views back then. There still are today. But, um, you know, it, it gave him a main event spot against John Cena, which is, you know, something he he deserved. You know, like when he won the world title from, uh, like, Randy Orton, I was like, he deserves that. And then when he got this opportunity to face John Cena in the main event of a pay-per-view, I was like, he deserves that because that's the kind of guy he's he's always been. Nice, yeah. I have I've, now. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. I've not seen it because uh, you're right. When you think Mark Henry, you're not thinking greatest promos of all time or or one of the better talkers uh, in the industry. Uh, but but he's always been entertaining. I loved Mark Henry that watching him back in the day. So I'm definitely gonna check that one out. Oh, it's it's definitely worth a watch. They they uh, they hook you really good. Nice. Uh, for me, yeah. one of the greatest of all time is you know is it's not underrated. It's actually considered probably the greatest of all time. This is the one that's shown in a lot of the wrestling schools. It's shown to a lot of the the, the up and comers saying this is how you cut a promo. Is Dusty Rhodes's Hard Times promo? Know which one I'm talking that's about? It's an excellent one. Oh, oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Actually, Dude. that's one. That is one of the best. When it's he it's gets so in perfect, and he's just letting loose on Flair, talking about you don't know hard times. Hard times are these factory workers laid off, and man, and this is in a time when this was really happening. Like in our country, factory workers were being let go left and right. You know, all these different factories and mills were just closing down across our country. We were coming out of yeah. the industrial age. Uh, and and we were hitting I don't know was the it was called a recession in the seventies I don't remember what what it was, uh, but it was bad man you would see pic you'd see pictures in the things when you see these old news reels from the seventies where like lines for gas cars you know going all the way down the street oh yeah uh, you know things were just not good you think of New York City in the seventies is the worst like one of the most crime ridden it was like Gotham City right. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So when you got um, a guy like Ric Flair who represents like the gold, the glamour, the glitz, the hot, you know, the the Fifth Avenue, uh, going up against the guy that's considered, you know, the son of a plumber uh, who grew up in the ditches, digging ditches, right? And then he's talking about hard times, and he's talking about how he loves the people, and he's reaching his hand out to the people so that they could feel. And man, who cut? I mean, seriously, this is why this is considered probably the greatest of all time. I watched it today again, and I was just like, holy cow, man! Dusty Rhodes was legit. Like he. This guy had something else. There's so some special about that guy, man. Think, well, th- here's here's one thing you need to look at too. Um, when it comes to Dusty Rhodes, he's his body type <laughs> was not the the you know not to like I'm not f- like fat shaming or anything. No, but his body type was 
you know, he was solid, but he was puffy. Dude, he um, says it. He, he says it in, in this promo. He says, "I'm a little big in the belly and a little wide in the backside," or something. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> like he, you know <laughs> how Dusty like Dill does it, man. Yeah, it, it, but that was his selling. Like that was the difference between yeah. him and and a guy like Shelton Benjamin. Um, that ability to talk mm-hmm. and, and be relatable, be personable. Uh, you, this is a great reference point, man. There's like, as, as far as great promos, it is, it is one of the most highly referenced ones of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was passionate and you know, and it, it was from a day and age where, where promos weren't scripted. They all didn't feel the same. This one stood out. Oh yeah. Um, and it still stands out at, you know, for, for its, the, the attitude and passion that Dusty Rhodes brought. Yeah. Um, I, I can't think of how many times Dusty was a world champion. I, I, you know, I don't, obviously it wasn't in the same zip code as, you know, as like a, you know, Ric Flair or some other ones, but um, it, it just, yeah, it just, it, it worked, man. It was, yeah, Dusty, one of the, the best talkers of all time. Um, and he can work a crowd. It, it's just, yeah, just the passion. Uh, the passion was there, and that's why he's one of the best. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the most important things uh, that was kind of evident in the way he cut this promo was it kind of taught – and, and I, I can see why wrestlers should be using this as a reference is because it kind of teaches you that when you're cutting the promo, not only are you wanting to go after the guy you're talking about, right, but you want to make it so that you connect with the people – to get them on your side to see why they should don't like this guy either. What is it that is the stark differences? And he literally went into the sorest subject, you know, the, the most painful thing and how many people were losing jobs in the country talking about hard times, you know, man, yeah, it was very relatable. So, very, very, relatable. so, so good, man. One of the greatest of all times, Dusty Rhodes. Without a doubt. Oh boy. There's so many to choose from. <laughs> I know, man. There's so many good ones. Um, here's one, um, that I really, that I really liked. Um, you know, you're hitting, you're hitting some good ones, but there's so many that we can all do. Um, what about when Bret Hart turned heel? Yeah. Um, from 1997. Yeah. He turned Bret on Hart. the Americans. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest white meat baby faces of all time. And he, he goes heel. And I was just like, this is cool. Um, you know, I was just a kid back then, and I was like, I f- this was like, I mean, I'm not going to say it was the equivalent, but, you know, this was almost like Hulk Hogan joining the NWO. It was yeah. different, and I was taken aback because Bret Hart was my hero. I Dude, I had all his action figures. Dude, all uh, the he, little. He was, he, he was at, he had stickers, uh, the little hand things that they used to sell at the arenas. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah. The pointy, the foam fingers. Uh, you know, those things, like I, I had all that the sunglasses, and, dude, all the little yeah, boys, uh, we were, we, he was awesome. He was, and you, when he came down, you know, the ramp, he always went up to the little kid and put the glasses, the sunglasses, you know, the shades on him. Um, dude, you're right. He was probably one of the most over baby faces that you would never think is going to go heel ever. Right. This was the guy that the people loved. Absolutely. And that's why when he got, you know, he did this, he is, uh, you know, they, they just, his frustration. One of his, the quote from it: "Frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it." Um, I, th- I forgot who he lost to, um, but he was just pissed, and then it it led to the the Hart Foundation coming together. One of the yeah. best incarnations of it. He shoved Vince McMahon to the ground, and it was just oh, so beautiful because you know that that's how I mean that's really probably how Bret Hart felt, and I felt like this heel turn. Was probably one of his some of his best work. Um, I'm not gonna lie because it was different. And like if you read his book, he was feeling all this. He hated the this entertainment stuff, you know, part of it. He grew up in stu, you know, his dad, legendary dad, oh, yeah. Art Dungeon, that old school just catch can wrestling. Yes. Um, and obviously, I don't think the business would have survived if it didn't get to that point. You know, if it didn't convert over the way it was, but. Uh, he hated it. He hated every bit of it. He just went out there and he just wrestled. He, you know, he even he even says used to say he didn't like his promos. He hated being a promo guy. But this one was a special one um, for me because it's you know it's a guy, um, you know, and not to get too sidetracked when it comes to really anything, whether it's fiction, uh, whether it's reality, I always really gravitate towards those those good guys who 
you know, stand for everything. Yeah. Um, everything good in the world one day, and they kind of go on the other side. <laughs> I always, I always, I think it's always a great story, even at, you know, on the way back around for redemption a little bit. Yeah. But I've always like, you know, what made what made that guy finally tick, right? What was it that sent him over the edge? How much had he been holding in? Um, you know, I that I love those characters. Um, and this was one of those moments. Like it, it felt real. Um, and even looking back in hindsight, after reading his, you know his book, it felt even more real. Um, you know that. I love it. It's just great moment, great moment for sure, for sure. And and it was one of those heartbreaking moments for the kids, you know, <laughs> see, seeing their 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 hero uh, turn on them. And most of the time, it was really he was just turning on them, just because the country they were in. You know, it was one of those. Oh, yeah. It became one of those things where it was more about the the country uh, because again, Which was he, a cool dynamic back then. Yeah. you know, they didn't they. Not, it's not like it is to, like today. They usually like when they go over to other countries. They usually don't, um, you know, they, they don't. They won't like if Rusev like goes back to home to wherever the heck he's from. Those those aren't gonna be a live Raw or SmackDown, so that doesn't right. get aired. But during that time period, you know, he was got the crap boot out of him and anywhere in the United States. But the second they went over to Canada. He was baby face, like his his demeanor changed, and I, I think it was one of the, that was one of the cooler time periods in WWE television for that reason. Nice, nice. Uh, one of the ones I had on my list for my top three uh, comes from probably one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Mick Foley, uh, as one of my favorite gimmicks of all time, Cactus Jack. Do you ever see the Kane Dewey promo when he was on e- ECW cutting a promo on Tommy Dreamer? If you've not, like I have, I'd have to rewatch it. Look, I'm saying, if you've not, listeners, if you have not seen this promo, this should be another one of those promos that they they kind of show you in wrestling school because you want to see what a how a babyface you know can 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 be passionate and cut a promo. You show Dusty, right? But then when you want to show somebody who's unhinged, you want to have maybe that gimmick where you're you want to really come across where you can scare the living shit out of a kid. Uh, you cut a promo like Cactus Jack does here on on Tommy Dreamer. So Foley, whenever he did his his gimmicks, you know, when it, whether it was Cactus or Mankind, he had this weird way of of doing the the very quiet, slow kind of talking to the scream. You know what I mean? And he'd come at you, and and there was this way of his his him cutting a promo. Um, when I say it's important the way it's delivered, you know, the cadence and the timing of the words, uh, this is is one of those things. Go back and watch it because the way he speaks, he's very deliberate in certain things. And then, then there's these times where it feels like the anger that's coming up from deep inside him is so intense that it just boils out and it comes out in this burst of shouting and then right back to him being kind of slow and crazy. And then we get some of those classic cactus moments where he's punching himself in the face and kind of pulling at his hair. And man, let me tell you something. I was watching that earlier today and I was like, oh, God, I forgot how much I love Cactus Jack cutting promos, dude. You know, well, I, I remember as a kid when he'd cut promos like this on Sting, uh, when he'd do it on, you know what I mean? But then, but this was, this one was something else, man. Go back and watch it. It's for, for seriously, it's called the, uh, the Kane Dewey promo. Insane. Okay. Insane. Yeah, see, there are so many different types of good promos, too. And, like, that's one where, um, you know, you the way you're explaining it, uh, and I know how Mick Foley cuts his promos, like, you can feel yeah. their emotions with it. Like, there's something like, like Stone Cold's, like, Austin 316 one. Like, that was just good promo. Yeah. But there's ones that are very emotional mm-hmm. where you connect with uh, – you you can feel like if they're pissed off, you mm-hmm. can feel how being angry with them, like you can feel it in your chest, and you know the, there's like those emotional ones, those sad ones, those retirement speeches where like you're kind of crying with them a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Mick Foley was great at that. You know, one of my friends in the business, uh, you know him very well, uh, Anthony Gaines. He has a very good way of cutting promos. Yeah. I I've always felt when he gets frustrated, um, you know he. You know, obviously he's expressing frustration that you can hear it, like the pitch in his voice, and it just connects with you and pulls at your heart straight. Like it sounds so weird, but I mean that's really the science behind it. That I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm pissed off with you. Uh, you know, that's it. It that's such a 
you know, it, it's it's important to connect on an emotional level. Yeah. Um, like the way that Mick Foley did, and and like my friend Anthony Gaines does. Uh, you know, when, whenever they get to talk. Yep. Agreed. And you can see some of those promos on the High Spots Network, ESW. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> man, um, there's so many. I mean, I, we could go on and on. We and really on forever. could. Um, I have one more know, that I'm going to talk uh, about for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I'll let you go, and then I and then I figured if you just want to do one more each, and then then that'll be it because we are running into about forty minutes now. Yeah, we are. Um, let's see. What can I? What can I choose? I can go obvious. I can go. <laughs> <laughs> I could do just about anything. Um, all right. Here's one. Uh, the summer of punk. I'm not gonna do the pipe bomb. Cause it's overdone. <laughs> Um, it is, it, it's so overdone, it is overdone. It's so but it is, it is an important one, but it is overdone. It, it is. Um, I'm actually going to go to his contract signing, which was a couple weeks after that initial pipe bomb. It's him and Vince McMahon sitting, uh, for a quote unquote contract signing. Oh, I remember and, this. And him, like they reverberated off each other. So good. And this is why I was like, I was like, I wish there was more between these two. I could sit and watch. That was 25 to 30 minutes of just like pure joy, energy. Um, and it was good. They they, were, they just reverberated off each other yeah. so good. Vince McMahon obviously playing up to his very stingy ownership ways. And Punk being the rebel, trying to get a little bit more out of it than, you know, <laughs> Vince McMahon wanted to give. And obviously... It, it ended with John Cena coming out, which made things interesting, and CM Punk not signing his contract right away. But, um, I mean, it, it's entertaining to it, television. I mean, I could still sit down today and just watch this thing all the way through, mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, it was well done. You know, he's he's legit playing to the crowd. Here's heel heel CM Punk, who's over like Rover at this point. Yep, and he's like, oh, you know, I want this, I want that, I want. Uh, I want a movie called The Chaperone 2. It, it won't go direct to DVD like Triple H. Or maybe that was a later one, but it was, you know, like that was just kind of verbiage. And, you know, I want the WWE ice cream bars back and like that sort of thing. Yeah. And he he did good. He was passionate and like you, like the CM Punk made it feel like it was real when he talked. Oh, it yeah. It felt genuine. It didn't feel scripted um, at all. I mean, this is probably. The real, I, I'm sure this was real deal. Um, a, a lot of personal anguish probably went into this promo, and I'm sure he tried to throw Vince McMahon off a little bit with some of the things that he threw at him, uh, and that's what makes it even more entertaining. Like I'm sure, I'm sure the the path that they wanted to take was slightly mapped out, but um, I'm sure that's not what happened. I'm sure that's not what happened there at all, and. Yeah, Punk, Punk executed excellently. Vince McMahon, who's you know a famous, he has good promos himself. Mm-hmm. You know that when he you know it, going back for as long as he's been around, um, he did very well himself, and just it just made perfect television. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many juicy details on the in between. Yeah, and it it's it's almost as good as listening to that very first Art of Wrestling uh, episode that he did like m- months after he left. Uh, you know because. It, it he pretty much reverberated all it, it, in truth, and it was how he felt. Yeah. And it, like there's there's nothing more dangerous than a pissed off person who's uh, who's got some things to get off their chest with a live microphone <laughs> and yeah, given the go ahead too. Yeah, just get to it. That's no, it's it's. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, dude. That's what, that is one of the the other things about promos. You know, some of the most, you know, the promos that stick out. As, as some of the greatest of all time always have that bit of truth in it and that's the beauty of professional wrestling too is kayfabe right it's always that line like is this shoot or is it kayfabe what's happening mm-hmm. here what's going on and that's why people get so kind of caught up i think in the drama of 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 these moments um so the one I was going to talk about as as one of my favorite promos, I kind of wanted to tie into one of the old school ones too. So obviously, it's for me, it's going to have to do with Ric Flair. Ric Flair being okay. one of the greatest of all time. One of my favorites of all time is his styling and profiling promo back in the the, <laughs> the old uh, you know Turner Studio days. Um, oh yeah, dude, I, love the studio. I'm literally setup. reading it. it because it's it's not that long. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio. 
looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilt liquor <laughs> in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. And I'm ha having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo, dude watching this guy just perform this and he did it multiple times like he had this down to a science just the way he could just put spout this off but the way he would interject those woos in between and just you know where he would throw emphasis on each of these words and lines and break up these sentences this is one of the most impactful promos i when i was a kid uh when i saw it later you know because i remember when i was a kid we used to have wrestling uh vhs tapes and um, oh yeah oh yeah and this is how i saw this for the first time and just it was just like who is this guy he sounded like he was rhyming a song it was insane but then i'm tying that into the uh the um uh, the Jay Lethal Ric Flair woo off promo. Oh, dude, for me that is one of the greatest of all time. Where he comes, it out. gets memed so much too. Oh, oh my god! But the, it's, it's so how beautiful is it, man? Jay Lethal has that Ric Flair down, dude. He's got it down. And then when Ric Flair's looking at him with those wide bugged eyes, like, I cannot believe you are pulling my gimmick at me. And then they start going at each other, throwing shoes at each other, you know, dropping <laughs> elbows and, and, you know, oh my God, it's the greatest of all time. I love it. It's my absolute, one of my absolute favorites. That's a great one. No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. And I do, I did want to give, like, uh, I did want to mention this. The best thing about Ric Flair promos is that while he still almost almost degraded, um, you know his opponents. Obviously, you got to talk smack mm -hmm. and this and that to sell the fight, but he did a really good job at putting over his opponents. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that is building them up. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that um, if you don't build like for as far as like a pro wrestling mm -hmm. thing, or even if you're doing like a crossover, like for podcasting, for example. If you don't build up your opponent, nobody's gonna care. Yeah. If you like, if for wrestling standard, if nobody's gonna care if you beat them, right? Because they're trash, right? You said exactly. they're trash, and you just beat them. If you build them up to make them seem bigger than yes. they, uh, you know, bigger than than they they might be, or, or bigger than they they should be, that win is gonna be that much more meaningful, mm -hmm. and it's gonna help the other guy out too. Um, in, in making people believe in him and, and keeping things suspenseful. Oh, for That's sure. That's such a lost art form uh, these days is really putting your opponent over while still being able to cut a promo and attack them. And like I said, I'm no, I'm no promo expert, but I, you know, I, I kind of know. I'm like, yeah, you hit you know, it on the head. I'm dude. like one of those guys who those who can't do coach, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like what I, when I'm like, what I see and like, yeah, people just like, oh, we're. You know, like hip hop guy, like hip hop rappers and yeah. stuff like that. They like to shoot on, you know, not like shoot on each other, talk down about each other. Then, then like, no, let's we're gonna work everybody and collaborate. Um, it would have been better if you guys just built each other up from the start. Yeah. Uh, just that sort of thing. It happens so often, and it's, you know, it's like, come on, yeah, uh, yeah. Build I think each other up, sell, yeah, sell it. I think you hit it on the head, though. That is one of the secrets to putting over a great promo is not only being able to talk and not only be, being able to call your guy out and, and maybe even put him down, but you still have to talk about him like he's the greatest, he's one of the greatest, that he's this person because, like you said, when 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 the crowd starts to think that even you look at this person as maybe a challenge and you come over and win that makes you that puts you over even more you know or even even when you're the Absolutely. if you're the heel and you have to you, you win dirty you know that draws even more heat because you did you know you, that's the only way you were able to beat that mountain um, you, you, exactly. Yeah, exactly. dude, it's great. Ric Flair was so good at that too. Oh. He was so good at that too. Yeah, there's so many, dude. Like you said, we could go. This could be like a three or four hour conversation, a four parter with so many great promos out there. Some of the ones I went <laughs> through, uh, I would say, as an honorable mention, was, and I was surprised at this because I'd never seen it. So when I saw it, I, I was surprised at how actually how well it came across. Was uh, back in the day, AJ Lee cut a promo in a lot of the divas. <laughs> 
Um, her quote unquote pipe bomb. Yeah, yeah, her her version of it. It was pretty decent. It wasn't bad. I was like, all right, all right, that's not bad. Um, you know, Becky Lynch in, in recent times has been cut was cutting promos that were so fire it literally shot her into superstardom. Uh, she was being compared to Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know what I mean? The yeah, I mean, if Johnny were here for this episode, I'm sure there would have been a Miz reference or oh, two. Oh, geez, the because Miz could... the Miz is one of the best modern promo guys uh, there is. Like he. He can outwork everybody. Oh, uh, you dude, know his talking smack one with Daniel Bryan. Yes, yeah, yes. like that was. It felt real, and it created. I mean, whether it was or wasn't, we don't know. But I mean, there was so much passion and just yeah. anger with it. Yeah, uh, I mean, the the Miz is one of the best modern talkers of all time, yeah. and and it's it's. Well, modern of all, all yeah. time. Um, he he is he he is. You know, he came from a reality show background. He gets it, and he's been around the business for. Long enough to to really understand how important promos yeah. is. And the you dude know, was a, he was a heel. Yeah, yeah, he was a student of it. I mean, he loved wrestling since he was a kid. So like, it, it wasn't a new thing that that he he gravitated to wrestling. Um, the guy knows what he's doing, obviously, and he's a student of the game. He's a student of the greats. He he was able to grow up watching guys like Flair, Piper, you know, even Stone Cold, The Rock, those guys. Um, but dude, there's so many out there, right? Like Chris Jericho, one of the, one of, one of the better talkers out there. Um, you know, we didn't even touch on Piper. We didn't even touch on the rock. Good Lord. We could go all day. Oh yeah. There's yeah. Just, just so many, man. That's, that's the beautiful thing about pro wrestling is that there's so many, you know, we mentioned some hit, I, I mentioned some hidden gems, uh, in it, in that respect. And, but there's, there's so many more, and this is something I would definitely like to revisit someday. Oh heck yeah. We'll uh, do a part two. Yeah, I would with Johnny included, and just get some uh, different takes. There's a, uh, you know, that's it, it's there's so many. Oh, you know, for they're, sure. They're, like the hidden gems are the best ones. You know, everybody knows the mainstream ones. That's why I stayed away from like the punk pipe bomb and yeah. some other ones. But uh, I mean, there's every you know, there, there's some people that you wouldn't think uh, they get a microphone like like even like Goldust like not to you know go back and do it like Goldust yeah. when he threw away his gimmick the artist formerly known as Goldust. that's right passionate wonder or the one he cut as seven in uh wcw like stuff like that Mm. there's just there's so many layers to it and and so much that we you know it should be explored dude yeah this is definitely one we're going to be coming back to uh i have a feeling this is going to be uh a a regular kind of topic that's just enjoyable to come to Uh, we'll have definitely chapters ahead uh other than that man i'm out i'm ready to tap out how you doing man i'm Yeah, I'm feeling good. Count me out. All right, man. We're going to take it home.